This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education, and I currently coach school principals. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the nation's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and today we're talking to a pornography expert. (laughs) Just kidding a little bit. We'll get there. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Jethro and I would like to thank Buoyancy Digital for being one of our initial mission partners. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience-safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers, let's chat. For more information on working with Scott and Buoyancy Digital, visit buoyancydigital.com or Scott R. Media on LinkedIn. Hello there, Jethro. Hey, Fred. Excited to be here today. This is going to be a good conversation. Well, the first of uh, various family members we're going to trot onto this podcast. So there you go. <laughs> That's right. We're starting with my oldest sister, Andrea Hainsworth, and she is an associate licensed mental health professional in Spokane, Washington. She's a, a graduate of Gonzaga University with a master's in marriage and family counseling. As I mentioned, she is my sister, and 
that's all well and good. And I like my siblings, but what's good is that she is trained in emotionally focused therapy and owns a private practice, which works primarily with couples, many of whom are dealing with unwanted pornography use and associated infidelity and other forms of acting out in their marriages. So that is why we wanted to have her on the program today. As we've talked about what's going on, it's been fascinating to hear some of her stories. She is married and is the mother of six children, and you can contact her at andreahainsworth.com if you want more information. So, Andrea, welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yes, this is going to be fun. So tell us first and foremost about how your work is different than most counselors and what people probably think about it. Okay, so my work focuses primarily on couples. I'm very interested in making marriages strong and helping people find a way to do that. Um, Most of the things that we get caught up on in our marriages are easily fixable, and I enjoy being a part of that, that process. In my work with couples, I get a lot of couples where the presenting issue is unwanted pornography use to the point where it's um, impacted the couple um, with either um, betrayal, a lack of trust that needs to be restored, job loss. You know, there's lots of consequences that come with it. And it's usually at that point where people come to see me. Um, Usually a big event has happened. I have couples who are newly married, having only been married for like, you know, one to three years, all the way up to couples who've been married 40 plus years. Um, And usually there's an event that brings them in um, uh, with the couples who struggle with pornography. There's been some big event. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that you're dealing with people who, who have unwanted pornography use. And I think that's a unique way to say it. So I want to talk a little bit about that, but you also run a support group for women who have who feel betrayed by their partners unwanted pornography use. So what is the real problem with pornography that, you know, we often think that it's just sex, but you, what's your opinion on that? Mm-hmm. Well, what I tell my clients um, and the men that I work with that oftentimes in the addiction model, we go towards sobriety. We want to have a certain number of days, months, turning into years um, with sobriety. and I teach them that the opposite of, um, to use addiction language, um, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It is connection. And that's what we're working towards is how we can help people create deeper connection in their relationships, starting with a connection to themselves. So are, are you saying then that the problem with pornography is that there's a lack of connection? Yes. And that's why people are using yep. it. Um, that's not the. That's not usually how it starts. But that when it becomes a problem more than sex, the problem is a lack of connection. Um, it, at that point, it's become a way to cope with anxiety, stress, feelings of low self worth, shame. It becomes a coping mechanism. And so, if we can work on those things, then we can um, help people overcome their pornography use, that they've tried lots of other things. Um, but if we can get them to connect to themselves and to others, that helps. As someone who's uh, researched and, and written in this field for some time, I actually think it's really, um, it's really useful to use that term unwanted because there are certainly couples who incorporate 
adult material into their lives. But I think a lot of that has to do with the trust and the connection between the people in that relationship. And so I, you know, I think what you're getting at, which, which makes a huge amount of sense is that if consumption of this material is driving a wedge between the couple or is serving as a substitute for some other kind of connection, then it becomes problematic for yes. drugs or alcohol or something else with. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's why I like, um, addiction, it, it communicates that they are powerless and helpless. And I don't think that's the case. I think that they are actually very much, I have a lot of compassion. Um, right now I only work, the couples I work with, the problem that I know women struggle with this as well. My experience is in working with couples where the man is the one who struggles with the pornography use, although sometimes their wives have struggled with it too. Um, it has not been as problematic um, just in my, the situations I've come across. Um, but it's, it's important, I think, to give people hope. And there's not a lot of hope sometimes with the word addiction. So I use it with my clients because sometimes they use it, but it's a very much attachment-based approach that I use. And my whole goal is to create connection for the couples that I work with, not only with each other, um, not only to themselves, but many of my clients find that they can't connect to other people. They can't connect to their coworkers. They can't connect to their other family members. Um, so it's connection across the board in all their relationships that we work on. Uh, that's really interesting. I, as, as Jethro may have told you, my research in this area began with the first book that I wrote, you know, Obscene Prophets back in 2000. And that book arose because of the fact that adult content producers were moving online and they were really trying to embrace the whole World Wide web and figure out how to use it. I'd love to hear your thoughts as someone who's practiced in this field on the way in which technology has affected the issues you deal with. I mean, I would assume it's made it worse. I'd be curious to hear your comments on how that has played out. It's made it worse, but what's fascinating to me, and again, this is all anecdotal, I, I haven't done official research, but my anecdotal research is what's very interesting is some of my clients and a lot of the people I work with, honestly, are older and didn't have access to the internet when the problem began. Now, the, the internet has made it accessible to everyone. We know the statistics on, you know, nearly 100% of kids have viewed or have been exposed We've all been exposed. I mean, it's, it's a daily part of our lives. But the core issue, which I see is a lack of connection or using pornography as a way to mismanage our emotions and to try and seek comfort, help um, when we're in distress, it doesn't really change whether that first exposure was through the internet or through the magazine you found walking through a field on your way home from school. The results are the same, but we're seeing it of course, more widespread with the internet. It's just exploded, as you know, from your research. But the why behind it, to blame it all on technology, I've just seen enough people struggle where technology was not the first exposure. You know, these are men that are pre-internet who I've worked with. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that because you're saying that it's a lack of connection that is making people view pornography when they don't really want to. 
and how do we reconcile that? And how does, how does like feelings of like inadequacy or failure or something like that play in that make you turn to that when, especially in, in a lot of situations, it seems like everything is going well, but then you have this, this struggle where you just can't seem to get over it. You know, you're super successful, you know, either in high school or in college or whatever the case is, how do, how do those feelings of failure and inadequacy play in? Well, let me just talk first a little bit about connection and what we're facing. As infants, we come into this world helpless. We all need connection to survive. There's research that shows this. There's research from orphanages that show what happens to kids when there isn't connection. Um, the failure to thrive emotionally, where, where children have literally died from a lack of connection. Um, that need for connection does not change across the lifespan. From the cradle to the grave, we are all wired for connection. We need it. And look at the world we live in. Your podcast talks about children, but look at us as adults. We are just as hooked on our phones as our kids are. And so the lack of connection, it goes both ways. It goes, um, our kids are living in a disconnected world, but they're also disconnected from their parents if we're not careful. If we're not careful about the way we manage ourselves on our devices, we are furthering that lack of connection, making it harder for our kids to get the safety and security that they need to thrive in this world. Well, we certainly talk a lot about that, both in terms of what kids are going through right now with the pandemic, but also the impact that the pandemic is having on the family unit. And so much of our concern, I think, lies in how parents are role modeling their use of devices and their behavior with devices. And I think that would probably play into the content that adults are consuming online. You know, kids are wildly observant. It's hard for them not to see things that are going on. So I think that's an issue as well in terms of whether or not kids are being exposed to things that are age appropriate and how that plays into their development. Mm -hmm. Yes. I 100% agree. Okay, let me take a quick pause here, Jethro. Your question that you asked me, I kind of didn't answer it, but I still want to answer it. Maybe ask it, maybe circle back to that. Because yeah. I kind of wanted to put that out there about connection, but then I lost myself. Yeah. So recognizing that we have this need for connection that doesn't change, going back to my previous question, how does the failure and inadequacy that we feel um, stifle that connection? I mean, if we are connected to our family, shouldn't we be able to go to them when we're feeling those feelings? Yes, that is the hope. So there's, um, there is an author named Daniel Siegel, who's written lots of parenting books from an attachment-based perspective, which is my theoretical orientation is attachment-based um, counseling, attachment-based parenting, and attachment-based um, marriage and couplehood. Um, but he puts forth that kids need four things from their parents. They need safety. They need to be seen. They need to be soothed. And that leads to a secure attachment. And when we're securely attached um, within our family, it's much easier to go to our parents and and one of the things I see is that where we're really missing it with our kids is providing this place of safety and security for them around other things, not just around sex, but um, around the feeling going to school and not being invited to the birthday party or getting on Instagram and seeing that all your friends went ice skating and you weren't invited. If our kids can't talk to us about those things, we don't have a connected relationship with them. 
They need to be able to come to us and talk about their hurt, their shame. When I talk about shame, the definition that I pull from is Brene Brown's definition of shame, which is the feeling of or experience of believing that we are flawed. And because we are flawed, we are unworthy of love and belonging. And we can feel flawed and unworthy of love and belonging in a variety of situations um, within our family. So as parents, it's extremely important that we create an environment of safety and security where our kids can, can leave the safety and security of our home and they can go out and they can make a mistake, whatever that is, whether it's not being invited to something or coming across something inappropriate online or not doing well on a test, whatever it is that they can have a place to come back to, that we are a safe haven for them, they can come and communicate with us about that and have acceptance, safety, security in their flawed states. So I I find that really interesting because it seems like if we want to solve the problem of our kids looking at pornography and many other things, we need to have this connection with them. And it, it sounds like what you're saying is basically that we need to allow them to express how they're feeling when they're feeling something that's not great and probably great too, but it's harder to do the not great stuff and be there with them. So how do we do that as parents with our kids when as kids get older, they're less and less interested in sharing their feelings with their parents? Well, I think we have to take care of it ourselves first. We have to be comfortable with discomfort. Life is full of discomfort. Life is full of hard conversations. We have to be willing to hear our kids' discomfort. And I know as a parent, I want to hear the good stuff. I want to hear the A on the test and that you're popular and that you made the team. Like, I want all those things for my kids. I want to hear that you don't struggle. You're not looking at stuff online. Um, I have a an experience I wanted to share um, that a friend of mine shared with me that she experienced with her son that I think illustrates what I'm trying to say really well. Um, And it actually has to do with some pornography viewing online, some very mild pornography viewing. Um, She found it on her computer and it was just your basic curiosity stuff, you know, like what does kissing look like or, you know, looking up videos to show those kind of things. Pretty mild. Um, And she felt like she really caught it early on and had this great experience with her son talking to him about it. You know, mom and dad both talked to him. They were open. They were honest. There was no shame from them. It was like, thank you for telling us and, and them taking responsibility. We should have better filters and we'll do more to take care of you in this area. So she's feeling great about it. Like, you know, she's like, I nailed it. Like, I got it. Like parent of the year stuff. And um, she's tucking her son in bed and she checks in with him and she asked him, how do you feel? Don't you feel so much better? And he's like, I feel terrible. And she said, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel? Negative four. And I told her when she was telling me this, I said, you just nailed it. Like, forget all that other stuff. Forget the filters. Forget the, you know, rah, rah, rah. Good for you. You provided a place of safety and security for your son to tell you, actually, I'm not feeling that great about this because mom is feeling great. I handled it well. You know, she's thinking that, that this is, this has been a positive experience for her son. 
And he still was feeling bad. He wasn't feeling good about himself in that moment. And she was a safe and secure place that he could say, mom, I don't feel good about myself. Okay, that's where the real work was done in that situation. Because now he he can come to his mom and know that she's a place of safety and security for him when he doesn't feel good about himself. And that's when pornography use becomes a problem. You know, all kids are curious, all kids look, but when they start using it to manage their pain or their discomfort, their discouragement, their um, loneliness, their depression, that's when it becomes um, compulsive and obsessive where even when they want to, to stop and get healthier around their sexuality, they're now using it to cope with other things. And so there's certain cues and triggers. What I see with men, like they can have a bad interaction at work with their boss. And instead of coming home and turning to their wife about it, it's easier to look at pornography than it is to talk about their shame. And the real shame is I don't fit in at work. I'm not accepted. I don't measure up. And instead of turning to someone they trust, which would be their wife in this case, they turn to pornography instead. And when I can get them to open up about that part of themselves to their wives, then I see real change happen. I see connection happen in the relationship. Just like with this mother and son, the need for that doesn't change throughout our lives. That makes a great deal of sense, Andrew. And it's it's interesting to hear that story because it, it underscores even, you know, it, it underscores the fact that there are these moments, even when you think you're doing a fantastic job, yes. it doesn't necessarily fix everything for the child. One of the things I'd like to ask you about, though, is that even within the framework of that story, this was an accidental discovery by the mother that her son was yep. starting to do this kind of exploration. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Jethro and I talk a little bit about is, is the need to try to anticipate some of these moments in terms mm-hmm. of providing context and background and and a, and a framework for understanding without taking anything away from that mother's story which really does sound good would you say to parents that if they can get ahead of the curve in terms of having these discussions with their children is that a better way to go absolutely and not just having i i think we have to be ahead of the curve and i know you guys focus on this a lot, the longer we can delay exposure to unhealthy sexuality portrayed by pornography, the better off our kids are. And um, because, you know, their brains have more of a chance to develop, they're, they're more ready. Um, so we should be doing everything in our power to delay exposure. And at the same time, the earlier we can have connected conversations, the earlier we can be that safe haven and secure base for our children, then the more comfortable they are coming to us and the more comfortable they are with us coming to them with the uncomfortable conversations. So in, in the story that I told, I know that this, this mom has done great work in having connected conversations with her children. That's why it was easier for her to say, hey, bud, I'm feeling great. How are you feeling? So both things, we need to be ahead of the game from infancy through having adult children. That should be our objective is to be a place of safety and security for our kids so we can talk about whatever we need to talk about to do that. One of the drums that I persistently beat on this show is the idea 
that the world in which our kids is growing up, our kids are growing up is qualitatively different than what I grew up with, what you may have grown up with, you know, even Jethro who's a little bit younger than both of us, I suspect, but that part of the challenge of parenting these days is coming to terms with the change in our ecosystem for parenting that kids are being exposed to things much earlier than we could have imagined when we were that same age. And so from a parenting perspective, we need to be able and willing to have more uncomfortable conversations sooner than we might like. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, where I see them not only being exposed to things online earlier, but being exposed to the complexity of life earlier. When I look at the things I face in my practice, the ripple effects of unwanted pornography use, you know, here we are talking about kids and protecting them, but I say, okay, what about the parents? What are the parents doing to address this very same issue in their lives? Because if they're not, a child could be born into a situation where we don't even need to worry about them coming across an image or, you know, any of these cyber traps that you talk about, these unhealthy emotional behaviors that people engage in because they're born into unhealthy emotional behavior already. So the ripple effects of pornography, they don't ever have to see it on a screen to be affected by it um, long-term. So I, I would say to parents, you know, before we worry about our kids, we need to worry about us. What are we doing? If you have a problem with this, what are you doing to address it in your life? Because it's going to affect your kids it affects all relationships. Yeah. Does that and, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And by extension, when I do my, my work with schools on trauma, this is one of the things that I talk about that if a kid is experiencing this kind of trauma at home before they even get here, you're not going to out teach that what they experience at home is going to be very difficult to overcome. And the need for what JC Poole calls charismatic adults to be there to help support kids who are having a hard time connecting with their parents is important. But like you said, there's nobody who can replace the parent. And so if you're not taking care of that yourself with your spouse, with your kids first, then it's going to be really hard for your kids to overcome that on their own. And it leads to more issues than just pornography use. That's what we're talking about here, but it, it relates to a lot of other areas as well. Well, and, um, Pornography use is, it's multi-generational. It's very often we find that a woman who marries someone who struggles with pornography, her father has struggled with it because there's a certain dynamic that goes along with the kind of connections that are formed, some of the unhealthy patterns. And so it's familiar. It's familiar. And so we're seeing it passed from generation to generation. And that's why I love the work I do. The best parents are the parents who take care of their own stuff. And I don't mean just pornography. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, taking care of your own pain. Like, where did you miss out as a child? Where were your parents not there for you? You can address that and heal that as an adult by doing your own work. And the best parents take care of their stuff. And I just, I applaud. I'm just honored to work with my clients and to see what they're doing to stop cycles, to change family trees. It's amazing work that people are doing. And it's, it's so fulfilling. It's scary to engage in it, but 
people are changing their lives by addressing their stuff and and then they're able to show up for their kids. Uh, that's really good. And I think that's, that's a good place to end our conversation. If you want to learn more about Andrea, check out andreahainsworth.com. And I want to say thank you, Andrea, for being part of the Cybertraps podcast today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been really informative, Andrea. Thanks so much. All right. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, taking care of yourself, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of interesting experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share this show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this episode. So please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you in our audience and we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.